The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hey, Matt. Hello, Alex. How are you? I'm doing well. Good to see you again. I will uh, read this ad and then we can just jump right into it. Media Ocean is for people who like to be efficient, like listening to this podcast at 2x speed. So I'm talking super slow to make sure this ad is super clear. If you work in advertising, go to MediaOcean.com slash Big Tech to watch highlights from the Omnichannel Imperative. That's MediaOcean.com slash Big Tech. Hello and welcome to the Big Technology Podcast, a show for cool-headed, nuanced conversations of the tech world and beyond. Joining us today is one of the keenest observers of the tech world, full stop, and someone who helped turn me into a journalist during the five years I worked for him. Matt Honan is the executive editor at BuzzFeed News, the person who built the publication's award-winning Silicon Valley Bureau, and overall someone who I quite enjoy shooting the breeze with about tech's role in society. Matt, welcome to the show. Alex, I really appreciate you having me. It's, uh, it's been a long time coming, and I think we're slowly making our way through the whole BuzzFeed Bureau, so uh, I'm really glad to have you here today. Uh, uh, thanks so much for asking me. Uh, I, I, I'm just very happy that I got to come on before John Pachkowski. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, and, and I do apologize having uh, Mac on before you. We had to spend the first five minutes of our conversation talking about whether it's okay to microwave salmon. Now that he's not here, we can both agree the answer is definitely not, so... It's, it's, it's a, it's, it's just, it's a total way to alienate people. <laughs> yeah. It's not good. <laughs> it seems to be Ryan's specialty. Great. Okay. So let's start with what this year of pandemic has done to accentuate divides in society and specifically what the role of technology has been. So there's this part of the population that's been able to weather this thing from home and say in their jobs entirely from their kitchens, uh, at full disclosure, I'm definitely one of them. Uh, and people will call them the zoom class. Some of these folks have even moved en masse to smaller towns outside of cities. Now people are calling these Zoom towns. But others haven't had the luxury. And, you know, they've either lost their jobs or they've had to go out into the real world to perform them. So what do you think the implications are here, Matt? You know, does our society become more divided because of this? What happens? I mean, I feel like I should start by disclosing that I'm in Truckee right now. Um, (laughs) There we go. Well, we're not on Zoom, so <laughs> or at least, or at least on the outskirts yeah. of it. Yeah. Um, okay. So, uh, and yeah, I mean, like, like you also hear this called the work from home class. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's like a couple of like really interesting things there, right? I mean, so first of all, like, I think it's true that that if you think about what this pandemic would have looked like 20 years ago, uh, when it, it would not have been possible to have a Zoom class or a work from home class or zoom school or all that kind of stuff. Like, like technology really in a lot of ways helped this from becoming a lot worse than it could have been. You know, it helped, it, it, it clearly helped reduce community spread. Um, but it's deeply unfair. Certainly that, that, that like some people were basically able to ride it out at home, you know, often all being paid very well to do that. And you know, the, the, it really just, you know, there's that, 
I, I think it's almost a cliche at this point about it. I, I can remember. I wish I, could, I wish I could remember who said it first because it's a brilliant truth that, that about the pandemic being the black light that exposed like all this, you know, all the problems in society. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm just. I feel like I've wandered away from your question now. But I, I'm. I, you know. I'm. I'm like. I'm like. You know. Largely feel like this show that that technology can be a very positive. You know, can play a very positive role in society. The internet can play a very positive role in society. Uh, you know, I, I personally like have not been vaccinated yet and am not in a huge hurry to run out and get a vaccine because I feel like I've, well, look, man, I, I can work at home. I've been, you know, I've been fortunate enough that I can, uh, you know, that I can connect on zoom or Google meet or, or, you know, or whatever. And I can, you know, do all my work to this little box, um, which is like boring and, 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 you know, life is, life is monotonous and it's been March for a year and all that kind of stuff. But you know what? Like it's, 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 it's pretty incredible that, um, that, that actually worked, um, that, 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 you know, helped. And like, in some ways, like it, it, you know, it, it was, you know, it was probably, um, I think, I think in some ways it was, it was, it was, it was just like a lot of like right stuff, right time in terms of the fact that it did work, you know, like you worked on a story uh, when this was all starting about video capabilities at, uh, you know, at, at, when, when, when the pandemic was, was getting going and like so many people had gone to Amazon web services, there was so much bandwidth, you know, people had fiber to the house, there's all this stuff. But it, you know, it, it, it was really just, it's just deeply unfair that, I mean, it's deeply unfair that that, that so many people got to ride it out of home, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And like, it's deeply unfair that like so many, you know, the kids who had the, whose families had the the money to have a better computer and better internet connection got, you know, got a better education or got an education when some families, their their kids just sat alone at home all day while both their parents are essential workers. You know, it's been, it's, it's been, it's really exposed the divides in society and, and how, you know, just, what kind of inequalities we have to work on as a society. I think that's more than anything else. Zoom towns is just like the most obnoxious like phrase I've heard in a long time, but it's, it's going to have a, I just think it's going to have a long-term transformative effect on society that I hope we can, we can make a positive one. Yeah. So let's talk about that effect. I mean, what do you think happens? I mean, there's gotta be some, some, you know, we talk about the effect, but why don't we try to flush it out a little bit and talk about what that means? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to predict the future. Like? I mean, frankly, I just don't want to predict the future. Like, I don't know. I don't know what mm-hmm. it looks like. But I think that um, I certainly well, hope that. Yeah, we could I talk mean, about it, where it might go. Yeah, I mean, maybe sure. Stay I mean, away from that. I mean, I, I certainly hope that like um, all these conversations that we've had about race and class in the past year aren't, uh, you know, aren't aren't for naught, and that all the things mm-hmm. that we've learned about about um, you know about who who has the privilege to do these things that we don't unlearn those. And that I hope that we can, I hope that we can, you know, make changes in society to make sure that the people who are least protected have better protections. I, I just, I, I firmly feel like if we don't learn lessons from this, that we've really failed as a society. And we already failed in our response to the pandemic, the government response. And, and, and I feel like we're going to really fail if we don't take lessons from this and try and make it a more equitable society. Yeah. My real concern is we already seem to have a country where people can't put themselves in their neighbor's shoes. Uh, and oftentimes it's not their neighbor, but the person that lives a zip code away. 
Uh, we have Democrats unable to understand Republicans, Republicans unable to understand Democrats. And I worry that this will just add another layer of division inside an already really divided country. You know, I, I do too. I, uh, I do hope that there is some good to come out of it and that we can have some mm-hmm. sort of realignment. I, I saw uh, that there are, I saw something recently about the, the massive number of, of people who are registered as independents now, you know, versus uh, four years ago, eight years ago, 12 years ago. And it's been an increase. Yeah. In a large increase. Hmm. And, um, you know, I, I think that, I think that's like a kind of a positive thing. One of the, one of the worst things that we've done as a society, I think is, is in, in American society is to divide everybody up into teams, you know, like, like, uh, you know, you're, you're on, you're on one side and, and, you know, my party right or wrong kind of shit. Uh, just as it's, it's been incredibly harmful. Um, you know, and I, I think there's a, I, I hope there's a chance that, that we can, I just hope we can learn from it and, 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 you know, people become more civic minded and people can, can, you know, get more involved. I, I think that, you know, I mean, personally, like I, like, like all of a sudden I care a lot more about, uh, about, about schools, you know, and not just my kids' schools, but other kids' schools, you know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, uh, the, the Molly Hensley Clancy wrote a story on schools in the spring and about all these kids who've just been completely, you know, wrecked by, by the pandemic and, and left behind. And, it, and uh, you know, I'm certainly not the only person talking about thinking about this, but it's, 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 I think people are really thinking about that now. And I hope that we continue to think about that. I hope that we can, you know, do things like, uh, you know, I don't know, like, um, I, I mean, I, I hope that we can do things like make sure that, 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 that all families can have, you know, can have fast internet at home. Like why, why, why do you, why, why is that something that, um, why is that something that only, only wealthy families can pay for? Why can't, why can't you have more equitable distribution of broadband? Why can't there be broadband in rural areas? Why can't there be more, you know, why can't we do more to have government do a lot of infrastructure where places like, you know, I don't know, uh, you know, it, it, where, where there's not affordable internet that people can get it. Yeah. And there's also this other aspect of, so when I came, moved to San Francisco in 2015 to join your team, one of the things I told myself was I want to be in the bubble. You know, I was in New York and I was like, well, I'm not going to understand the tech industry until I'm in the bubble, until I'm going out to dinner and the people that I'm at, you know, having dinner with my friends are working at Facebook are working at Google. You know, where I'm yeah. online and I hear chit chat about, you know, how people are trying to build things. And then you start to understand the industry. And largely it's been a good bet. Um, and and I do wonder, like, you know, we talk about there's a great um, you know, podcast about coronavirus called In the Bubble. You know, and it seems like coronavirus has put more people, some people in bubbles and other people haven't had the luxury. And I'm curious yeah. what you think that means for tech in particular. Because tech already seemed the tech development already seemed like it was happening in a bubble. Now it seems to be further ensconced in a bubble. So yeah. you know, I'm curious what you think that means in terms of people being able to build for everyone and not just you know the people who are you know zooming nine to five. I don't know, Alex. It's a great question, right? I mean, I think that uh, some things maybe became 
like less bubbled, like for example, grocery delivery. Um, you know, my, 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 uh, my mother who's in her seventies and lives in, uh, you know, a rural area and has never, and, and is on a fixed income and doesn't, you know, have a whole lot of resources, uh, you know, had never been able to get grocery delivery. Now she can get grocery delivery and curbside there or order online and get curbside pickup and that kind of stuff. And she's been doing it for a year. Mm-hmm. Um, it just wasn't like available in her area and the grocery stores that were there then you know, kind of scrambled to implement it. And you're seeing, you know, kind of the, I, I think and I hope you'll see some things like that, right? Where like places that weren't traditionally tech, like your like your like a rural grocery store, um, become you know have these infusions of technology that, that that make them more more useful to to people's lives. That may be a dumb example, but yeah, I'm thinking about the builders of technology. Like, are are they gonna you know because they've been less to, we have them listening to the show. So I'm curious, like, what you think? You know, if they you know, they're less exposed to, um, you know, folks who don't work in the tech industry. And of course, I guess we'll go back to normal potentially in a couple of months, but I'm curious what you think that means. Yeah. So I think what you're saying is like, because of the, because of, of people's ability to write it out at zoom, does that mean that they're going to now have even less empathy than they already did have for people who who they're not been having contact with? Is that Yeah, that's a more blunt uh, way of putting it than I did. But why don't you answer that question? I'd like to hear your thoughts on it. I mean, it's concerning. It's definitely concerning. You know, Um, I mean, there was there was a story story about giraffe. Did you see the giraffe bunny story? Oh, I I saw it. I I forgot what the reference was, but uh, you could buy a you have enough money you could buy a giraffe. Is that what it was? (laughs) Right. Right. Like even thinking in your, like when you, when you, when your company goes public, yeah. It, yeah. You know, are you, are you going to get giraffe money from, from this IPO or just, uh, you know, you know, or just fancy dog money? I don't know. Um, and you want to have <laughs> giraffe money, right? I mean, just like, even that this, those discussions are taking place we, we, uh, is, you know, is it's messed up. I mean, I mean, America, the U S is pretty messed up. Um, I think a lot of that though is, is due to like long-term tax policy, long-term policies around race, long-term policies around who got to get a loan to buy a home, mm-hmm. that type of thing. Uh, but it's not, it's like, I would hope that the people who are listening to this, this podcast who are the builders are thinking about the, you know, kind of unglamorous middle-class and, 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 and working class and working poor who, you know, are not living in those bubbles and are not, uh, you know, are not, are not able to, to be on Zoom all day. There's this new ad uh, from a gig economy company basically saying, I'm my own CEO. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, in spirit, but not in <laughs> this specific example. Yeah. It's a, uh, I'm not going to say the company's name, but there's a company, there's a company that, uh, they may, maybe they'll sponsor your show at some point. So, um, I, I, there's, <laughs> yeah, there's, well. there's a, uh, there's, there's a company that, that has a new ad about a, you know, where a, one of their drivers is, you know, sort of like, I'm my own CEO, you know, and it just, it struck me as tone deaf. I think it struck a lot of people as tone deaf because yeah, you're your own CEO. You don't have health benefits. You don't have, you don't have unemployment benefits. You don't have, um, you know, you don't have uh, any of the kind of safety nets that come with full employment. And actually, you're not even your own CEO because you don't really even set your hours. I mean, you yeah, can you're managed by an algorithm. Hours. Yeah. And like th- 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 that mindset could come 
you know, could come out, um, the, the, you know, now is, is like shocking to me and appalling. Um, there, there are so many people who have, you know, we, we, we just, we talk about these people as essential workers, yet we treat them as if they are completely inessential. And, and it's, it's, I, I really, I just, you know, it's discouraging to me that people don't have more empathy for the people who are, who are uh, it's discouraging me that you could have so little empathy, I guess, that, that you, that you might not see, see that as, as a problem. When meanwhile, there's, you know, there's, there's a thing going on in San Francisco right now. There was a, uh, a, a, a driver, I believe it's an Uber driver, maybe a Lyft driver who, um, you know, was assaulted by some people who, who, uh, you know, who weren't, cause you'd asked him to wear his mask, wear a mask in the car. And, you know, people are out there scrambling and working hard and like putting themselves at risk so that, other people are able to be at home and, you know, and sit there on, on zoom and Google docs and, you know, get your work done and check your workflow and Asana, all that kind of stuff. You know, Mm -hmm. it it happens because other people ventured out um, and took risks. And I I just hope we think about them. Yeah. So speaking of giraffe money, we have to build on this. I did want to get a chance to ask you what you think about this whole NFT craze, the non-fungible tokens, and the fact that Bitcoin is going to the moon. Um, and I think you still have like uh, you know a mountain full of Bitcoin sitting in some wired server somewhere uh, back from your wired days. So um, does this all seem they burned that you? actually? And so they what burned happened? that. They burned the server. So tell the story. I mean, we should tell the story of the wired Bitcoin yeah, server so, if you're able. Yeah, to. I mean, this, this, yeah, I mean, this wasn't me, but it was. Uh, it was while I was there, and it's it's pretty amazing. Um, uh, I believe it was Bob McMillan, who's now at the Wall Street Journal, um, who uh, had a uh, had a Butterfly Labs Bitcoin mine, and it was in Wired's like gadget closet, you know. And it's just in there, churning away, mining Bitcoin. And and what year was this? I'm going to say 2012, mm-hmm. maybe 2013. Mm-hmm. And at first, it's just like in there, you know, churning out stuff at like whatever Bitcoin was at the time. You know, even when it was like 100 bucks a coin, it was not, you know, like nobody really thought about it as being a big problem. Then all of a sudden, Bitcoin shot up like, I, I think it was like a thousand bucks or something. You know, I, I'm not going to get these numbers right, but. And it became a problem and people were like, wait a second, this stuff could really, you know, like it's a thousand bucks today. It could be 50,000 bucks tomorrow, which I don't think anyone believed, but, uh, <laughs> you know, but like, here we are. Yeah, here we are. And there were, there was a big debate internally over what we should do with it. And, and I remember, uh, I remember Adam Rogers, who's a longtime uh, writer and editor there who, uh, who's on the, the science desk there, um, you know, making the case that like we should, we should give that money to charity. Um, we should be like, like there are people sleeping on the street and like, we, you know, if we're going to, you know, we can't, we can't keep this and sit on this, sit on this, this Bitcoin stash because it could, you know, in some ways compromise our, our integrity. I don't necessarily think I believe that, but you know, yeah, I mean, I think wired could still be sitting, on, be sitting on, the, on the Bitcoin. And at this point, I think, I think we're talking like, I think it was, I want to say it was some of the neighborhood of 10 to 15 Bitcoin, you know, some like mm-hmm. they didn't mind, several but not like a lot um you know not like it didn't have like a didn't have like a thousand bitcoin or whatever it wasn't that early and anyway uh 
the, at some point after after a lot of arguing over it, I don't remember who was arguing what side other than Adam, uh, because I remember Adam was, was 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 in the way that he can be sometimes very animated about it. Uh, uh, they made the decision basically to to get rid of the key, and so they you know they burned the they burned the key, and there's once they did that, I mean that there's no getting it back. You can't get it, and um, so. So those, yeah, I mean, so, and actually we were talking about this the other day. Uh, I was talking about it with your, with your, I think with your former guest, Ryan Mack, I'm not sure, maybe actually, maybe it was you, Alex, uh, when we were talking last week, but mm-hmm. it, w- it would be like, how much like, like, worth, like, yeah. when, like when they, when they, when they trashed it, I mean, if it was, I, I mean, it, well, well, let, let's say it was 10 Bitcoin. I don't know. It'd be worth what half a million bucks now. You know, I mean, it was, it was, it was a substantial, you know, it's a substantial amount of money now in a way that it wasn't when they got rid of it. Do you, well, so I can't believe they like, got rid of it. And what do I think about NFTs? Yeah. I think they're. Wait, wait, before. I think they're. You I think they're <laughs> I, yeah. Okay. Okay. Sorry. 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 <laughs> Let's do that. How like just, just give us your approximate guess of how much money was in that wired Bitcoin server. How much money did they burn? It must've been, I mean, it had to be more than 10. I think at the time it was, I, I, I just don't remember. I'm sorry. I mean, it's yeah. been several years. Uh, I believe it was 10 to 15 bitcoins that they had. And Dang. so I believe at the time it would have been 10 to 15, $15,000. Do you that, kick yourself my, for not, not buying uh, Bitcoin when you knew it was happening back in the day? What do you mean? I'm kicking myself for not buying at 20,000. I mean, if you were, if, if, if you think that way though, like you just have to, you have to think like, uh, I don't know. No, I, mean, I think, I think you have to think about like, um, I think you have to think about what is when, when what like what is uh. You can't just think about what could have been. You got to think about. You got to kind of go back to that moment in time and really think about it. The, I, the, there, there was a uh, there was a point in time when a Gizmodo, and I, I want to say it was John Herman, I, maybe maybe someone else uh, who was there, bought some Bitcoin for a story, and it, when it was still trading for you know pennies a coin. And they like had to send a muddy order to somebody like who literally went by the name Morpheus, you know, <laughs> and like, I mean, it's, it's, you know, who could have, who could have seen that it, that it, that it, uh, you know, it, that it became that I, I actually did buy some Bitcoin, uh, which I wish I still was holding, um, uh, the, uh, for a, for a story one time. And I like, it, it was, it, I got beat by cash Hill. Um, who wrote another story about living on Bitcoin for a week, which is what I wanted to do. But, you know, like when you think about like the, I, I heard someone making the case, like when you think about the million dollar pizzas or whatever, or whatever cash spent, you know, she spent some mm-hmm. fortune on a, uh, you know, on a, on a Bitcoin sushi dinner. I mean, it wasn't worth anything back then, you know, and it became yeah. worth stuff because people bought pizza and sushi dinners. Like that's, that's why it's worth something now. It's, I don't know. Do you think it's going to crash? I, I, you know, when I said about not predicting the future earlier, I mean, I, I think it's, I, I think it's less likely to have a, I think it's less likely to be valueless now than it was because there's so many institutional people in it. Mm. I have no idea where, where the, you know, the money is going or what's happening with it. You know, I mean, that's, can I talk about NFTs? Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it after the break. Cause uh, let's, okay. let's get a cliffhanger and I seem, it seems like you're going to have a response to it. So why don't we do that, play the ad and then we'll come back and we'll, 
will go bonkers on NFTs, taking this in a direction we never anticipated, but let's have some fun. We'll be right back on the Big Technology Podcast with Matt Honan. Stick around and uh, we'll see you on the other side of this break. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm DC Marshall. Hi, I'm Mita Malik. We are the co-host of the Brown Table Talk podcast, where we discuss how to help women of color thrive in their workplaces. And we invite allies to join us to help women of color win at work. We have a seat waiting for you. Subscribe to Brown Table Talk wherever you enjoy podcasts. And we're back for the second half of the Big Technology Podcast with Matt Honan, executive editor at BuzzFeed News. Uh, He hired me into the brand new Silicon Valley Bureau at BuzzFeed in 2015. And it's nice to be back on the line with you, Matt. Um, Great to talk to you, Alex. Yeah, appreciate you being here. Why don't we start by uh, defining what uh, NFTs are? And then uh, it seemed like you were about to say that they're ridiculous. Um, So I'd just love to hear your your thoughts on the whole uh, moment that we're having right now with these things. Uh, I wasn't about to say they're ridiculous. I mean, I was about to say, I think it's very cool. Okay, well, let's define it first because, I mean, I'm still trying to get my head wrapped around how someone could sell a JPEG for... $70 $70 billion or $70 million, but sorry. Yeah. Why don't, I'll give you, I, I think, I, th- I think if you do define it as not like a JPEG that's sold, but as a unique digital object, that's the way, that's the way to think about it. You know? mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think if you define it that way, that it's a digital object that, that is one of a kind. I think that's, I think that's a, you know, I think that is a way to think about it where you can understand why it might be exciting. And I think, but the digital, yeah, like digital stuff is, you know, replicable on pixels anywhere. Like if I buy a painting, at least that painting ha- hangs in my house. If I buy a digital object, uh, anyone can see it on the web. I can't display it. I mean, I guess I could buy a screen and put it up there, but anyone could buy a screen, and put it up there. So what's, what, what is going I can, on I can, here? I mean, I can put a replica of the Mona Lisa in my house tomorrow, right? That's true. Mm. I mean, like the, you can, you can replicate anything. You can already do that. And yet art has value. Right. You know, is this like people first 5,000 days thing that sold worth 69 million? I I got no idea, man. Who knows? I don't, I don't know. So someone just got like, they get like a token, which like shows they own the digital artwork. Is that kind of what it is? Yeah, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, um, and so why do you think this is cool? Well, I don't, I, I think it's cool when you start thinking about it, not just in terms of art. I, th- I think that I think it's cool in that when you start thinking about uh, about the ability to have a unique digital item that is yours and yours alone, you may have ownership of. Um, and like, I think art is an easy is an easy place to start. But I think just in the same way that like, you know that 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 you didn't used to be able to really use Bitcoin for anything except drugs. Um, that you'll that you'll at some point be able to do to 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 buy and sell other things, um, you know. And there's some weird stuff like there's that uh, like there's that 
that tweet that Jack Dorsey, uh, you know, offered up as a, as an NFT, you know? And so the yeah. tweet is always just going to exist like on Twitter anyway. His right. person is setting up my Twitter tweet, but someone else is going to own the NFT of the tweet, I think is, is how it works. I mean, yeah. it's bizarre. And, 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 and what like, prevents Jack from selling an NFT of the same tweet just on a different, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I'm just so dubious of this whole thing. I mean, I think what presents, I mean, I think, I think you could, uh, Right. Like, could you fork the, the tweet? I don't know. Uh, maybe. Um, and, and, and have, a, it's all you know, made have up. a, like, have like, yeah, it's all made up. <laughs> yeah. But you could, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's an interesting way to transfer ownership. You know, what if you're, uh, I don't know. I mean, I mean like, this is going to sound crazy, but like, what if you're, uh, you know, what if sort of all ownership became something that was transferred through NFTs, you know, not just art, but like anything that you, that you sort of own that you don't have, that you don't necessarily have in your possession. Um, like the title to your car, you know, um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I've, I've, you know, I, 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 I possess my car, but the, the title, you know, lives on a, lives on a blockchain somewhere. I mean, it's just, just an interesting way to think about ownership. I think there's obviously like all these huge problems with the energy usage that people are talking about, but, uh, you know, because the, mining the art- Bitcoin at this point is just, and doing Bitcoin transactions takes the carbon of like an absurd amount of computing power. Yeah, the, the energy involved in in, um, in mining and transferring Bitcoin and in, 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 in transferring NFTs and doing all the the, the, the is is you know I, I don't know I'm not I'm not an expert but is apparently mm. you know quite significant and uh, you know and bad for the planet in ways that we should think about. But I don't know. I think I think being able to provide to to prove unique digital ownership is a pretty cool concept. Wait, do you think you'll buy any NFT stuff? Do you think I mean, if we put this podcast up? <laughs> not for sixty-nine million dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, but I think if we like put this podcast up and sold the rights as an NFT, you know, it would be valuable at all. I don't know, Alex. I think you should yeah. try it. Why don't you try should. it? Why, why, be fun. It's, it's 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 your podcast. Do it. I wouldn't even know where to begin. Uh, <laughs> I'll have to read some yeah, some yeah, guidebook. Yeah. I mean, okay. there, there's that, yeah. like, there, Sorry, there's, there's a service, there's a service that you can, that you can use to sell your tweets, which is the thing that, that, that Dorsey used. Oh yeah. I put something uh, up on as, there. As, didn't as, sell. Yeah. And like one of the things that I, oh, you did. I did. Yeah. It didn't sell. Uh, one, of the, one of the things I've been thinking about doing is selling as, as, uh, you know, I, I, I had someone hack my Twitter a long time ago. They posted mm-hmm. tweets of, they post, they posted to my Twitter account. And, um, it's always been sort of interesting to me that like, you know, when you look at Twitter's, like, like I don't own my account, right? Like Twitter owns my account, but I technically mm-hmm. own the content in their terms of service, say, because I created it, but I own the con that, you know, the content is mine. Well, I didn't create that. And uh, like, I didn't, uh, you know, I didn't create it. I don't, uh, you know, I don't, I, I didn't, I didn't display it. Someone else did all that. I've, I've been, I've been kind of wanting to sell that tweet just to oh, see like, be super cool. how that, uh, you know, how, how you transfer that, how you, how it works to transfer ownership or something that, that I clearly don't own and didn't make. Could people tell your Twitter was hacked uh, when they did hack and post that stuff? Because Matt, sometimes your Twitter account can't tell whether someone's possessed <laughs> it. I think there was, I, mean, I think there was one time where, and let, correct me if I get this wrong, but you, you were just like, uh, like tweeting one night, like, Oh God. And, and no, not this. <laughs> Some like probably reacting to a television show. And I think Ben had 
Ben Smith had to call you to make sure you were okay. So anyway. it was it was Game of it was Game of Thrones. <laughs> uh, what happened? Uh, I I guess I can tell this. I I don't know. Um, yeah, I was watching Game of Thrones and I was just like sort of reacting to Game of Thrones. I think it was a season <laughs> finale or something, and. I tweeted, I tweeted like, oh shit, you know, something like, oh my God, <laughs> you know, I don't know. This looks, this looks terrible. I don't know. And it's that, it's that total context collapse thing. And, uh, Mark Andreessen, and then, and then I went to bed <laughs> like, right as soon as the show's over. And I guess Mark Andreessen saw the tweets and flagged them to Ben who flagged them to our security, who like, oh my God, you know, was trying to like call me in the middle of the night and my phone turned off and. I woke up the next day and there's like all these messages from Ben and our security team. Like, are you okay? And I was, like, right. I was like, yeah. <laughs> well, I was watching I Game of Thrones. That's amazing. I didn't even know what it was about. Yeah. 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 Um, this was before, it, it was, this was before I was blocked on Twitter by P. Mark. Oh yeah. I was going to say, was this the moment when Mark Andreessen turned against journalists? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. This is, this is before he went on the blocking screen. Oh, okay. This is when he actually, right. this is when he actually uh, followed lots of reporters and had, and was saying those things about how Twitter was his way to inject his thoughts directly into a newsroom or whatever it was that he was saying. Yeah. Yeah. We all go through cycles in life, I suppose, but we're not going to get into yeah. the journalist versus VC fight. To, 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 re- to reiterate that, that fight is dumb. That fight is dumb. It's dumb. It's a dumb fight. Yeah. We won't, we won't do it. We won't fuel it. Um, all right. But okay. Let's, we have 10 minutes left. Let's, let's talk about San Francisco. Um, that sounds great. It, you just San wrote Francisco. about it. It sounds like I'm wearing you're, a San Francisco shirt. You're wearing a San Francisco shirt, or I'm, yeah. I am. Oh, Tunnel Records, San Francisco. Tunnel Records. San okay, Francisco. so you're ready for it to come back. You're optimistic about it. That's what I got from the piece. You you wrote this great piece on Substack, by the way. I was happy to see you right there. Uh, even though you're not starting a Substack, but it was cool to see you start something there. Uh, I'm sure lots of people signed up, and you said that you're feeling pretty optimistic about San Francisco coming back. Uh, for the last year longer, people said San Francisco's dead and that the pandemic is the death knell here. You and I have basically weathered the storm uh, in the city through the whole pandemic. Uh, what do you think is going to happen here and why are you optimistic? I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I guess like, I see people doing interesting things in the city, um, especially around media. There are like, like a bunch of like small, interesting media startups in the city now that I think that I think are cool. But I also see people becoming more civically, more more, more engaged. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I do think that um, you know we've got so many problems to solve in San Francisco. It's got just a, you know clearly one of you know just just a horrible, absolutely just you know, incredible fentanyl crisis, which I think we should call it a fentanyl crisis, not just an opioid crisis. It's a fentanyl crisis. Yep, and it's got you know. Horrible issues with uh, with with people's ability to, to 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 actually live there. You know, like if you want to rent an apartment, if you want to buy a house, like good luck. You know, it costs just a shit ton of money to try and do that. And you know, I mean, I think that, that there are there are you know, there's there's starting to be a little bit of building in San Francisco. Like even people are still fighting it, but you're starting for I think for at least the first time since the 20 years that I've lived there. To start seeing a lot more support for 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 new construction and for affordable construction, and I, you know I'm seeing a lot more people involved in like knowing like what the board of supervisors is doing. I'm, I'm I think that in some ways like having school board meetings and board of supervisors meetings and all these other government meetings happening you know on the internet where people can tune in and see them and not have to go to a building and you know and, and, and be there in person 
it, it encourages participation. And so, I mean, that, that's encouraging to me. I, I think it's only encouraging though, if people are like willing to kind of dive in and start doing things and, and trying to make a difference. And I, I certainly hope they are, but, but also part of the point of that piece was that, I mean, San Francisco has always been a weird fucked up place, right? I mean, from the very beginning. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, it's been just this kind of place that's always attracted like weirdos doing weird things. Uh, you know, whether they're looking for gold or, you know, coming for the summer of love or, you know, or, or, you know, whatever. Um, and I think that, that one of the reasons that there's so many, uh, like one of the reasons that there are, you know, certainly there, there's the, there's the, like, the, the origin stories that, that are connected to Stanford and Xerox Park and, uh, and, and, and Fairchild Semiconductor and all that kind of stuff. But, but one of the reasons that there are a lot of tech people in San Francisco is that it was a place where people were trying interesting and different new things, you know, and there's kind of a, you know, there's, there's a great book called What the Dormouse Said about this, but there's, there's kind of a direct line between people like experimenting with drugs and experimenting with technology. And I, um, you know, I, I, I just think that like San Francisco has been a, a town that's had a lot of booms and busts and maybe we're having a, a bust right now, but it'll boom again. It's a beautiful place that's on the ocean that you can ride your bike across the bridge and be in a national park. Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's got a lovely climate. Um, even if we do have, a, a, you know, fire season Fires. now and people are going to want to live there. And this like myth that everybody's vacating San Francisco for Miami also a great city, but one that's like sinking under the underground and, and brutally hot in the summertime um, is just, is, it's just, it's ridiculous. You know, and people are always talking about people leaving. People are always talking about, you know, about, about problems, but you know, before the, you know, 1990s, San Francisco is pretty grim. And mm-hmm. uh, yet the tech boom happened after it's, it's, you know, grimness. And it's, it's, uh, I don't know. I, 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 I guess I, am a i guess i am a hater hater so i yeah. uh, i I feel, like the, I feel the same way i feel the same way uh it, it's it, it feels um i i get people why people like other places but it does feel uh i don't know uh entitled and elitist mm-hmm. for folks to bash what is a great city uh and it's like you know the the line oh i want more cafes it's like all right go ahead but don't call San Francisco a shitty city because you want to drink coffee on a sidewalk, which, by the way, you can now because everyone's built outside. So, <laughs> but like that stuff to me is a little bit nuts. Uh, they tried to draft you to run for mayor one at one point. Are, are you going to do that? No, I tried to draft myself, honestly. Uh, but no, I'm not. Of course not. I could never do that. <laughs> um, well, I think you'd be a great mayor of the city. Oh. I mean, first of all, I, I, I would not, but man, what a terrible job that's got to be, right? Like, man, that's a shitty job. It's a I mean, hard maybe job. you get to be governor, mm-hmm. but, uh, or, you know, but uh, I like it's, it's also super interesting to me that San Francisco politics have become so dominant. And not just San Francisco, po- San Francisco politicians have become so dominant. You know, look at Nancy Pelosi, Gavin Newsom, you know, Kamala Harris. It's, it's, a, it's a real, like, 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 like all those people come out of San Francisco uh, local politics. And it's, uh, it's, 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 it's kind of amazing. Um, but yeah, I interrupted you. you sorry. Know, I, no, I just, like, like if you think about, if you think about the dot-com bust in, um, you know, which, which, which happened in 2000, but really took a couple of years to shake out like lots of interesting stuff started happening in San Francisco in, you know, 2003, four, five, six, 
before it was like totally on its feet. You know, I, you know, if there are people who are there just for a job and they want to leave, like they should, they should be able to go. And I do hope going back to one of your earlier questions, I do, I do think that like, we're never going to go fully back to the office and there is going to be people who are, who are, you know, working on zoom are going to be working from all over the place. And if they don't want to be in San Francisco, they shouldn't you know, necessarily have to be, if they don't, if they don't, if they don't have to be, if they don't have to be in person, and, you know, I don't know. I think things will, things will, things will shake out and things will change and they'll be, you know, we'll fix some problems and we'll get new ones. Yeah. And, and I think this could be a great reset. I mean, we talked, you talked about how rent is high in San Francisco. It is, but it's dropping because a lot of those folks who are part of, you know, this zoom world have decided they would rather be somewhere else. So, yeah. and, and I think that like, you need a certain level of rent, you know, you need to be, have a, a certain level of affordable rent to have the weird people that make a city weird and enjoyable. Yeah. When, when we had Steve Adler on the show, the mayor of Austin, he said, your, your city can can be a maker of art and a consumer of art. But once you stop being a maker of art, then your soul's missing. You know, I'm paraphrasing what he said. But you need to have that space for folks to be able to live on, you know, 500 a month uh, in, in rent. So that weirdness, you know, sort of forms the soul of the city, forms the people making art. You know, cre- creates a place where people can try and fail things as opposed to have to take a job that pays them $300,000 a year. Uh, and so maybe maybe this will be a good thing. One of the one of the silver linings of the last year is that San Francisco will be a place where weird can flourish again. I hope so, and I hope it's also a place where people who have grown up there can stay there. Where mm-hmm. you know, my wife is, is as you know, is a nurse. You know, I mean, she she works with people who commute in from from hours away. You know, because they can't. You know, especially if they're younger, because they can't. You know, they haven't been there a while. They can't afford the apartment there. It's you know, it's it's you know, I, I hope it's a place where like. You know, we're artists and nurses and teachers and musicians and 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 you know people who you know are are, are the soul of the city can live. Um, you know, I think that all comes down to housing. I, th- I think you know when you think about the home the, the homelessness crisis, the people experiencing homelessness crisis, it, like it, that, that, that's that's driven by housing. You know, it's, it's like so much of what people complain about with San Francisco can be solved like by starting with housing. And um, you know, it's encouraging me that we're starting to see a little bit more get built, and, and it's encouraging me to see that some of the, you know, some of the focus that's been happening out of uh, city hall, including today, is on is on livability. And I think when, when, when you really start thinking about what makes a city livable, it's people's ability to fucking live there, right? It's it's like I mean that yep. sounds like, that sounds just stupid, but like if you can't actually live in the city because you can't afford to. I mean, it's not going to be a local city. It's not going to be like, who cares how many slow streets you have? You got to have the house. Yeah. All right. Before we leave, I want to ask you about the fires. Uh, what about them? Well, I mean, you've written, you know, pretty uh, eloquently about the fire season here. That's now become a fact of life. I think you wrote, you know, the only thing we can think about are, are the fires. I'm kind of curious, yeah. like where, where you think that do we are we going to have a fire season on the West Coast every year? I mean, this year was particularly brutal. I feel like we were in a cloud of smoke for what two straight months. It was awful. Yeah, I don't know. I don't remember how long it was. I just remember it was just absolutely awful. I mean, especially you know, 
combined on top of the pandemic, it was just, I mean, you know, it was terrible. And it's, and it's like destroyed some people's homes and their lives. And Peter Aldous has written a lot about it and everything that I've read that he's written has made me discouraged that it's going to get better anytime soon. Seems to be Peter's outlook. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He knows too much. That's the issue. (laughs) So I mean, the, you know, I mean, the trend is certainly that they're getting worse. Um, no, we haven't. Uh, I don't know what, what the snowpack is like right now, but it was it was low. Uh, uh-huh. You know, the last time I saw, I saw, which I think was it may just been beginning of March, and which is not encouraging for fire season. Um, I think it's a fact of life in the West, right? I mean, it was happening in Colorado, happening in Montana. I mean, in in ways that it didn't didn't used to. I mean, that, that to me, like that's the thing. That's the like that, like that's the thing that that is really uh, alarming about living in San Francisco and California and the West and the world. You know, it's like, oh shit, what have we done to the planet, and, and how are we, you know, are, are we, are we, are we going to be able to do anything to fix it? I hate to yeah. think about. Like, my my wife's cousin was emailing us, and they're like, "Well, we wanted to come out in August, but we're worried that there's going to be that, that it's going to be very smoky." And I mean, my response was, "Yeah, I don't think you should come in August. Like, I wouldn't plan yeah. a vacation in California in August right now." Well, it's, yeah, it's just been a fact of life here for the last yeah. bunch of years. And and I, I remember when I moved here, I had no idea that this could be a thing. Like I was from New York. We don't do forest fires out there. And then one of the first summers I must have been here, it just burned. It's like the third biggest fire in California history, which has since been supplanted a couple of times, the Valley Fire. And you had this idea to send us up to... Uh, where the Valley Fire had burned and fly a, a drone into some of the structures to give people uh, a view of like what this was like. And it was my first time actually seeing the destruction that these wildfires could cause. And it was absolutely, you know, astonishing how, how destructive these things could be. And it was also a pretty yeah. good, good assignment, I would say. I mean, I appreciate you sending me there because I think, you know, that video was viewed by like 6 million people on Facebook to bring it full circle. Well, that was like a good wow. use of the algorithm because people, you know, it was a 360 video with, with the drone and people could actually move around and take a look at being what it was like to be in, in that place. It's hard to like get a scope of the devastation without seeing it or smelling it with your, you know, with mm-hmm. your own body. I mean, again, like, you know, I, like I, actually I, I will weigh in on the tech versus media thing. I think people... You know, I mean, like, I think technology has had so many positive impacts in the world and, um, you know, and, and like, and journalists do often talk about them, but it's just like, it's not the only thing we talk about when we talk about tech anymore. And I think that's been a shock for a lot of people. Yeah, totally. 360 video is pretty cool. Unless you see stuff that you couldn't, unless you experience stuff Mm -hmm. you couldn't see. Yeah. (laughs) And then you see, so I think like, then you saw... I know we're running out of time, but you saw Mark Zuckerberg uh, doing his presentation for Oculus, and he's got the video of, like, I think, flooding in Puerto Rico behind him after the hurricane. And it's like, yeah. there, there's a, yeah, maybe there, that's that disconnect we're talking about, you know, being in the bubble, being not in the bubble. Like, maybe it's not the it best idea. It seemed opportunistic. Just, yeah. Yeah, it's powerful to show this stuff, but maybe, and I, sh- I don't want to say, like, journalists are the only one that should be showing this because obviously it's not the case, but like if you're doing a product demo, even though that is the case, yeah. it's a, uh, it's a, it's a fine line to walk. Yeah. 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 Cool, Matt. Great seeing Alex, you. Thanks for joining. Great to see you. Thanks for having me. Always a I've pleasure enjoyed to it. talk. I have to, I'll have to have you back. I hope I wasn't incoherent. 
I probably no, was. you're extremely yeah. coherent as usual. I'm, I'm, I'm a little drunk. So just, just <laughs> you know. Okay. Well, we'll have to make sure we get you in that state for your next appearance. So it is, it is 5 PM on a Friday. It is. Yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. I'm, I started drinking at noon. So. Nice. Yeah. All right. Well, hopefully we can, uh, we can, yeah, we'll have beers next time. Cool. Thanks, Alex. Cool. See you. Thanks for joining, Matt. Great having you on. Where can people find you online? Uh, they can find me at BuzzFeed News. Okay. Oh, wait, is that, is, that, is that the right answer? Should I, was this, was this a bit involved question? I'm sorry. No, no, no. I didn't even speak to BuzzFeed PR okay, about having great, you great. on. Okay, okay. Oh. But like, you know, we have you on, then you say, hey, you can find me at, you know, at MAT on Twitter. And you won't be right, able right, to right. tell if I'm hacked or not. That type okay, of stuff. I see. Can you, do, you want, do you want to do that again? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm going to run this live, but go ahead. Uh, <laughs> Matt, where can people find you uh, on the internet? Uh, they can find me on Twitter at Matt with one T at M-A-T. Great. And uh, maybe I've been hacked. Maybe I haven't. You'll never know. Perfect. All right. Great. Well, uh, maybe I'm just an NFT. <laughs> I'll be following you there and uh, hopefully seeing you in person sometime soon. And that will do it for this week on the Big Technology Podcast. A big thanks to Matt Honan, executive editor at BuzzFeed News for joining us. And thanks to all of you for listening. It's been a pleasure having you here as it is every week. Speaking of which, we'll be back next Wednesday with a new show. Uh, I think we're having Carol uh, Codwaller, uh, who broke the Cambridge Analytica story, and uh, Yael Eisenstadt, who worked at elections uh, on Facebook and has since uh, defected and become a big critic. So that should be an interesting discussion. I hope to see you uh, Wednesday for that. Uh, If you have reached this show for the first time and have listened to the end, well, that's pretty good. Uh, It would be great if you give us a subscribe. If you're a longtime listener and you're here too, that's also pretty good. Uh, If you could rate us, that would be a big help. Big thanks to Red Circle for hosting the podcast and selling ads. And to Nate Gwatney, our great editor, uh, for always coming through with a talented edit. Thank you, Nate. Uh, And thanks again to all of you. We will see you next Wednesday. That will do it for us here on the Big Technology Podcast. Take care and have a good one.